Welcome to the Music Taz podcast. My name is Keith Deverell, and I'll be introducing the next series of episodes. I begin today by acknowledging the Palawa Pakana people of Luchawita, Tasmania, and their connections to land, sea, and community. And I pay my respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. And I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across the nation. The Music Taz podcast gives voice to the music industry of Luchwitter, Tasmania through conversations, chats and interviews with and between people in our music industry. At Music Taz, we hold a strong belief that within our wonderful island lies a sea of knowledge and experience that when shared can educate, inspire and promote our music and our industry. The Music Taz podcast is gratefully supported by Arts Tasmania. In this episode, we're going to hear a conversation between Michelle Nicole and Louise Denson, hosted by Helen Shield. Both Michelle and Louise are highly respected jazz musicians who have been playing on the international stage for many years. In this conversation, the pair discuss how the jazz scene enables women to have longer musical careers than in other musical genres. The pair also discuss the value and process of collaboration and the joy of playing music with others. This In Conversation was recorded live at the Clarence Jazz Festival at Rosny Barn in February 2022. The way you wear your hat The way you sip your tea The memory of all that No, no, they can't take that away the way your smile just beams The way you sing off key All the wrong lyrics The way you hold my dreams Oh no, they can't take that away from me Cause we may never, never meet again on this bumpy road to love But I'll always, always keep the memories up the way you hold your knife, the way we dance till three, the way you changed my life. No, they can't take that away from me. No, they We're can't take that conversation. away. I mean, how me. jazz nerdy do you want us to get? Like this much jazz nerdy, or like this much jazz nerdy? Little bit. Oh. We'll take it easy. We'll take it easy. Michelle and Louise. Thank you. That was absolutely stunning. Oh, thank you. That's lovely. It, when you read Michelle Nicole's, if you, if you look her up online, you just find reviews like, Michelle Nicole stands above any other jazz singer in the country. Full stop. At Michelle five, Nicole five is celebrated as Australia's <laughs> finest female jazz singer. Full stop. This is just... This is a pattern. It's a nice position to be in. It's very nice of you to say that. I've just been doing it a long time. <laughs> it's true. A delight to be here for. When you say you've been doing it a long time, Katie touched on this earlier, talking about your craft as a singer improving with age. And I think about some prominent pop singers in recent years, these women getting up saying, hey, we we demand to be able to age in our industry and to continue on. Is, 
is jazz a better industry in that sense for women? Are you, are you allowed to mature like a fine wine? Do you want to answer that, Louise? Um, I would like to say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, on all instruments, and particularly in voice, because let's face it, it does affect women a lot more than it affects men, you know, who seem to um, age into a sort of a dignified and wise <laughs> uh, uh, st- stage of life, and women seem to fade away somehow. But, you know, all the great... Um, Jazz vocal heroines had careers, you know, basically until they dropped into the grave, you know. Sarah Vaughan just kept singing, Ella Fitzgerald kept singing, Betty Carter kept singing, and on and on. Mm. You know, they didn't let the fact that they were over 40 or 50 or 60 stop them. They just kept going. And people loved them, you know, and the depth of their art just got more and more profound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I think some of my favorite jazz... Um, musicians, um, I mean, they're all, st- they're, well, the ones that are still going, they, they do just keep getting better. They may have lost some of the chops, some mm. of the, 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 the technical facility, I guess, because it's like, particularly with singing and with other instruments as well, I mean, you know, you lose strength, you can lose strength, you can lose mm. a bit of dexterity and all that stuff as you get older, but Arthritis. everything <laughs> sags and drops a bit as you get older, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard. I've heard. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I just think, but the artistry mm-hmm. and the, the, the sort of the depth and the, whibs, the wisdom, yes, that makes up for it. Mm-hmm. So I think as compared to the pop music world, I mean... I still think those the people who are, um, are amazing pop artists who were amazing pop artists are still probably amazing pop artists. It's just they don't maybe get the opportunities. Yeah. And in the jazz world, not, there's not a lot of opportunities anyway, so it doesn't seem to make much. <laughs> <laughs> how how did you develop the unself consciousness that makes? a vocal performance so beautiful to watch somebody who's not thinking about how they're singing they're just in the song how did you develop that um that's a good question because I mean I started off as a classical violinist and I I know that I used to absolutely you know dread hate standing up and playing in front of people I was fine in an orchestra um but uh, like getting up but something about singing I think it just it must be you know, it's just must be easy for me. I mean, to be honest, you know, like it's a much it's much easier to sing than play the violin. Let me tell you, <laughs> playing the violin is really really hard. And I tried that. I did that for a long time. And um, so you know, there's a, there's some of it is in you, kind of in you to to do to do that. I don't think like you know, outside of performing, I'm not. I might come across as like a really confident person, but I'm not particularly, I mean, I'm pretty quiet. I mean, amongst my friends, I'm fine, but I'm not that outgoing. But something about being on stage, particularly if it's dark, I'm happy as Larry. (laughs) If I can't see you, which I can't, I love that. Um, So the intimacy, because that's what it is. It's kind of like, you know, being really intimate with the person you're playing with and the audience. Something about it, I just enjoy it. I, I don't know when I try to explain it because I know uh, people who get, you know, almost paralysed by the fear. I've never experienced that. So I just feel really lucky, to be honest. Easy yeah. to do and very easy to listen to, for the record. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and when it comes to playing with someone else and to sharing that sound, developing trust with 
your fellow musician. What is that process like? Would you like to speak with that? Um, well, uh, I think jazz musicians often find themselves in a situation where they're playing with people who they haven't played with before. Mm. You know, you can just get a call, be there at eight and, you know, <laughs> and off you go. Which songs do you um, know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I guess on, on a scene, you, you know the people who were there. You know, oh, this, you know, this person keeps good time on the drums and this person is a very competent bass yeah. player or whatever. So in that way, when you're in a community, you kind of know who, who's got the goods and so you can feel very confident just going because you know they're going to be fine. Mm. Um, I guess it's... One of the things about jazz musicians and what um, makes jazz musicians able to sit in, you know, at jam sessions all around the world and just get together and play music is because we have a common repertoire. Um, now more and more people write their own music as well. So, you know, I'm not expecting to go to a jam session in Sydney and have people know my tunes. Of course they won't know my tunes, but we have a common repertoire. So you can be... Um, some people know thousands of tunes, some people only know a hundred, but you're going to at least have five or 10 or 20 or 30 that you can play on a gig that you're all going to know. So in that way, you can trust that the musicians you're on stage with are going to be able to, you know, help you to f sound good and you're going to be able to help them sound good, yeah. you know? I mean, mm -hmm. who are you without a, a fellow community of musicians? Collaborate or die. Absolutely. I mean, yes. otherwise you're just doing it in your in your um, house, in your practice room. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I, I totally. That's what I love most about this music is that collaborative thing, and that you know, like Louise and I, we've never played. We've played once together last night. <laughs> you know, right. and we played two tunes, and today we didn't. You know, like, but I knew that it was all going to be fine. And even though I stuffed things up, it's like no, nobody died. You know, so I can't, you, you know that to be what's going to happen um, is going to work if you have your skills and you have a certain amount of knowledge and you're, com you know, you're confident with you, in yourself and you're, yeah, you're mm -hmm. trusting the other musicians and it's absolutely the community is such a big part of it. And when you rock into a new city or a new, I mean, I've, I've had that experience many times where I literally rock in. Um, hi, my name's Michelle, you know, five minutes before the gig and, you know, you're meeting a band and you've never heard them play because they're, they're in, you know, Prague or they're in, like, Krasnoyarsk in, you know, Siberia. And you're thinking, I don't know, can they play? I don't know. It's different if I think, like, yeah, they're Sydney guys or they're Brisbane guys or Tassie guys. I, you kind of know each other because yeah. it's such a small scene, but you go somewhere else and you have to have your faith. So it's basically you've got to trust yourself and you have to be strong enough to be able to lead those musicians. For myself as a chick singer, I have to have good charts. Mm -hmm. Charts are everything. If you're going somewhere and you have never met the players before, they want to have good charts. I can't rock up and, and just sort of say, well, it's this tune. And, you know, so it's – but it, it's so – you are so – you have to trust. And I love that. I think that's the most exciting thing about it has the answer ever been no can these people play oh it turns out no oh yeah oh, oh yeah <laughs> you find that out pretty oh. quick but that's cool that's cool because something will still happen i mean it's not i mean i'm not talking about diabolical disastrous mm. sort of stuff but yeah th there's been gigs where i've played and i've just thought, oh my god this is really really terrible but you know like we'll make something of it yeah. you know and um and it's not like 
I mean, you know, and people are, if they're working hard and they're trying their best and they're having a good time, well, who am I to say what they're not, you know, I'm not going to say, well, you're crap. I mean, I might choose to not play with them again and they might think the same of me. They might think, well, that singer was awful. I never want to work with her again. So, you know. They're deaf. (laughs) (laughs) I just think the likelihood of anyone thinking that singer was awful, I never want to work with her again, in your case, is nil. But but, but there's different personality things. You know, sometimes people just rub the wrong, they don't rub well together and... um, I've had that quite a few times. Yeah. When cool. you look at the industry as it is now and you, you meet these young uh, emerging performers who are right at the start of their, their life of music, what – maybe there's never been a harder time to be a professional musician than right now. Is that a fair thing to say? What do you say to people who are just getting into this industry? Well, um I think, you know, I spent 20 years um, lecturing at the Conservatorium in Brisbane, and um, we asked ourselves that, you know, does the market actually need more jazz musicians? Where are they all going to work, you know? So I think that it's really important when you're teaching um, people, young people, to to really not to depress them and, you know, and discourage them and... And, and suggest that they it's quit terrible. or anything. Don't but to, do it. Yeah, don't, don't do, do it. it. Don't Get become an accountant. <laughs> no, no, no. I, but I think it's really important to be realistic. And, and the reality is that you have to be a self-managed artist. Yeah. You know, the phone will not ring anymore. Um, if you want things to happen, you have to make them happen. So um, it's musical skill, absolutely, having good charts. But it's also having other skills, um, create, being able to create your own poster and have us keep an organized spreadsheet of all your contacts and, you know, who plays what and to follow up regularly with venues to hire you for gigs so you can get rebooked and, you know, being good at the contract stuff and the royalties stuff and, the, mm. you know, all this kind of stuff, which is about managing the business of it's your horrible. career. horrible. I hate it. Yeah. You know? I know. It's I horrible. It. We all hate it, but you've, all, you've got to be good at Do it. it. For you all know? of that. You know, yeah. awful drudgery behind the curtain. Is it still a joy to step out in front of it for you, even though it's work? Did, did I look like I was like you hating really it? Did. If you're faking it, you fake well, it. Well, I know I pull lots of horrible faces, but I know I love it. I mean, absolutely. Well, yeah. and that I think is a really important message for uh, young musicians: is you have to love it. If you don't, because you know you won't make a lot of money. It'll be a lot of hard work. You know, yeah. Michelle's travelled a lot more than I have, but you know, you're not uh, going to have a tour in the way that Michael Jackson used to have yeah. tours. Um, <laughs> so if you're in it for fame and money, you're really in it for the wrong reasons. You've got to yeah. be in it because you love the challenge of it and you love the collaborative element and, you know, you love the fun of it, whatever. Mm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And is the camaraderie part of the joy, that collaboration, is it part of the joy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Absol- I, I love um, meeting new people, playing with new people, having the, the people that you, that you play with and you click with and you, you know, you would, um, I don't know, take, take a bullet for, yeah. <laughs> you know, musically and in life, you know. <laughs> I feel like that with lots of people I play with. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, for most, I don't know how many people here are musicians, but most of us will never know what it's like to create that other entity that sort of has a life of its own when you you're improvising and you take this song to a place that it's never quite been before and it's never going to quite go again 
in that moment. I got lost down that rabbit hole then. Well, maybe maybe you won't know what it's like to do that in a context of a, a jazz performance or music, but you might find those things in other other things in your life. I'm sure, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, you might like dig a, a dig out some weeds yeah. in a massive patch or dig out some agapanthus and go, oh, my God, I've just achieved greatness, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> it, that is really satisfying. You I know, like it, you've got whatever floats your boat, yeah. really. Um, and I, I don't know, like I, I think, I mean, I think it is special. I, of course I think it's special what we do because I love it. But, you know, I know that I, other people who do other things, I go, oh, my God, how do you do that? That's mm. amazing, you know. And I think we all kind of have things that we can do which are amazing. And um, so this is just one thing, uh-huh. you know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're not – we're not um, – Saving world hunger, curing, you know, mm. cancer or anything. I don't know, but you're giving people relief from mm. a lot of stuff for a window of time. No, I know. And I tend to play it down, Helen. I'm terrible. Mm. You can tell. But, yeah, you, it is. Well, it sounds bad if you say it. it it's all right if I say it's, it. <laughs> yeah. That's you true. Yeah, it's it's true. true. Mm. Um, can we talk about some of your your faves? What is one of the first? Who is one of the first jazz artists who caught your heart? Oh, for me it was Vince Jones actually, oh, wow. which Aussie Vince Jones, and I was I was actually at uni studying. Um, I was studying to be a high school music teacher, doing classical violin, and um, I was listening to the local. Um, this is in Adelaide, listening to the local radio station, and they played this track, and I rang the station. You know, in those days, you you know you couldn't like these kids now. You know, pick up their phone, and they can find out instantly. You know. Mm. Um, well, in those days you had to call the station and ask and then they told me and it was Vince Jones and the song was Never Let Me Go and, um, and then I went down to the record shop the next day and ordered it. You know, it took weeks. <laughs> um, so Vince Jones was the first person for me and I didn't know he was Australian. I had no idea. It's just something about his voice and the song and, and I kind of knew a bit about jazz because I was playing jazz at uni but playing on violin uh-huh. um, in a studio orchestra. So for me, it was a. I'm really happy that it was. I mean, I, I knew a little bit about jazz. I mean, I'd seen Dizzy Gillespie on the Muppet Show. You know, Come that's on. about it. I didn't know. I remember my first year uni, sitting in the cafe um, with one of my mates who was a drummer, and so what did you do last night? You know, and I would have just done nothing. You know, like, and he he'd been to see Miles Davis at the Theberton Theatre, and I said, oh, Miles Davis, who's that? I mean, far out. I didn't even know who Miles Davis was. Oh. You know, I was studying music at yeah. university. Sarah Vaughan played like literally, you know, 500 metres away from where I went to uni and I'd never heard of her. You know, like I missed seeing Sarah Vaughan. So it's just, you know, I didn't know about it. So, I mean, and I think most people in the general public don't know much about jazz. Mm -hmm. You know, so once you're in the club, it's kind of amazing and you want everyone to come into the club too, you know. But yeah, anyway, that's my experience. What about you? And what about you? Um, like you, I didn't know about jazz until, uh, although I'd played classical music and played a bit of folk music and things, I didn't really know about jazz till later on, <laughs> quite a bit later on. Um, and I think that the pianist who really grabbed me was uh, Bill Evans, because when I first started listening, um, I used to go to the public library in Saskatoon, where I grew up, and sign out 
records and just I had no idea Miles Davis who I had no idea I just thought oh, well this looks like it's jazz because I'd heard enough at that point that I knew um, that I wanted to hear more basically and that was it was quite interesting because I listened to all kinds of people who were far beyond my capacity to understand what was going on um, and thinking and but at the same time other stuff that was very very um, user-friendly, like Oscar Peterson, for example, and the Count Basie band and things. And you think, well, I can understand this, and it's great. This other stuff, I have no idea what it is. I'll leave it till later. But I think that in terms of jazz pianists, the one who really grabbed me was was Bill Evans, who was, of course, a, a towering, influential um, figure in jazz. Um, it just, uh, there's a real emotional connection for me in his music and also he has a beautiful classical technique you know which coming from a classical background I heard that and really admired it and um, and of course he worked with Miles Davis and many 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 other uh, greats so I think he's probably the one where I thought okay I'm going to listen to a lot of his stuff yeah I would like to usher you both into some shameless name-dropping now, if you wouldn't mind. Who have been some of your favourite artists to collaborate with in your career? To collaborate with? Oh, my gosh. Pretty much everybody Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I've played with. Um, My guitarist that I've been playing with for um, about 24 years, Jeff Hughes, we've... I mean, we have a fantastic thing that we click... um, I've played. Oh, I, I find that really hard because Sorry. it's it's no, it's it's a Which is, good question. I yeah. should have a better answer. Um, and but also, how do we define collaboration? If you step on stage with them once for a gig, does that count, or does it have to be a longer term thing? I, th- I think. Well, it, it it's part of it, but I mean, there's lots of times where I've. I mean, I've sat in with famous people. If that's mm-hmm. what you mean, you know, like I've. I mean, I've sang with Kurt Elling several times. Well, okay. And you know, and that's lovely, but like. I don't think I'd call that a collaboration. I think, you know, doing a, like a concert where you sing a couple songs, it's, it's a lovely thing. I mean, and, you know, he's a friend, you know, so like, but I think the people that you play, for me, like it's the people that I play weekly with um, that I have a real, you know, we're mates as well, you yeah. know, and we tour and we hang out and we, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. Yeah, nice. I think I agree with that exactly. I mean, you could get all academic about it and say that every time you're creating music together, you're collaborating, you know. But I think that exactly if I think about collaborations in my musical life, it's definitely the longer term relationships. Mm. I think that I would definitely cite, well, I know I would definitely cite a bass player in Brisbane, Helen Russell who's uh, part of the famous uh, Russell family clan. <laughs> her older sister is Sharni Russell, who is a very you know, excellent and highly respected vocalist, and her brother is Steve Russell, who's just a really dynamite piano player. And Helen, um, Helen and I have been playing, we played together the whole time we were in Brisbane. She was one of the first people I played with. And... Um, We've done a number of recordings and projects, but we've also, you know, jammed at each other's houses and, you know, had dinner and lunch lots of times and hung out. And, you know, she's one of my really uh, main musical colleagues, definitely, in my life. And what brought you to Tasmania? Uh, Well, um, I... uh, decided I'd had enough of university admin (laughs) (laughs) and left my post in Brisbane Um, and well I've basically retired here so I'm a climate refugee for one thing (laughs) and um, well Tassie's just beautiful and wonderful and filled with wallabies. How many days were you here before people found out and roped you in to play the piano with them? 
Oh, uh, no, I had gigs lined up when I yeah, moved right, here, yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah. You were never I sliding was, under the I radar. I hit the ground running. <laughs> yeah. And you've taught extensively in Tasmania in your career, haven't you? I did. I taught here for two and a half years. I can't believe that. I think it was two and a half years. Katie, was it two and a half years? I don't know. It was a long time. Um, yes, it was literally like a call from Nick Haywood was a head. He's a good mate. And uh, he was, anyway, they, they were desperate for a singing teacher because their singing teacher had quit and said, you wouldn't want to just fill in for a semester and fly down, you know. And I said, oh, yeah, I could do that. And, um, it, yeah, it ended up being two and a half years, years <laughs> of coming down once a week and um, teaching like over a day and a half. And um, but yeah, I've taught at um, Melbourne Uni, the VCA, and Monash for oh many many years. Yeah, twenty. I don't know. Over, yeah, I don't know. I haven't counted <laughs> since 1995, whenever that is, or 96, something like that. It's a long time. Who would be the most recent jazz artist you've added to your music collection? The most recent. Mm. Oh my gosh! Bought a record lately. Um, yes, but I tend to buy old records. Um, look, I, I'm a, I am a shocker like that. Um, I love Theo Blackman. Blackman is a, an American um, vocalist, improviser, kind of does kind of out there stuff. Um, I've, I think he's somebody that people kind of should know about. Um, but yeah, I, I, Abby Lincoln is my ultimate favourite. Um, and like to a lot of people, they don't know who she is, but she was. And she passed away a few years ago, but I mean, she recorded right throughout throughout her career. So when I think of a new artist, like because every new album was like something new, like she just evolved. And I think all good jazz artists evolve, you know. So it doesn't matter how long they're going. Yeah. What a beautiful prospect to look ahead to in your career. I can yeah. evolve forever in my art. Well, Sheila Jordan, who is a friend of mine, actually, and she's like the oh, she's incredible. If you don't know Sheila Jordan. She is a bebop singer. She's 92. She's still doing gigs. She she didn't. Uh, she took a huge break from her career to raise a child. She, she I think, in, and work as a secretary. She was married to Duke Jordan, who was Charlie Parker's piano player, and um, she was the first white woman to record for Blue Note Records. Wow. And she had this huge hiatus, and and she's still out there. And she's 92. She's still doing gigs, still touring, still teaching. Oh, yeah. So you know. I mean, she's pretty crusty, <laughs> but it's amazing, you know, the depth. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't see a time when um, it, we won't be able to do it. Yeah. Who would be a recent addition to your music collection? Well, actually, I would say um, it's not necessarily a jazz artist. I'm getting more and more interested in Brazilian music. And um, there's a singer named Leila Pinero who is an astonishing singer, actually. And um, we have one of her CDs on rotation in our, uh, our car stereo. Um, she's just got, you know, tremendous vocal agility and rhythm in her voice and just incredibly accurate pitch on some of these really, really difficult melodies. And then she also sings a really beautiful ballad. So mm-hmm. Leila Pinero is one of my new favorites. Do you feel like right. you've got a couple of tips you can take home with you? Do a bit of... I'm hoping so. I'd love to ask you before everybody comes back on stage and you're all in song together, what do you hope an audience experiences when you get on stage to play? Uh, I, I hope they experience some sort of connection to us and to the song, the story of the song that 
we're playing. Um, I mean, I kind of think that, I mean, I'm a singer, so it's kind of, I've kind of got the easy job because I've, I've got lyrics that I can sing. And, you know, if, we're in, if I'm singing in the language that you speak, it makes it easy. It's, it's easier for me than to, to, you know, connect if I'm playing the piano. It is easier. So I feel like I've got that privilege. So I think if I can't do that, then I'm really not doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also I like to take you on the ride with me that, you know, this is not – I'm not only telling the story but I'm also going to be really exploring this as far as I can and, and have, um, you know, as far as the improvisation goes and like with the band, whoever we're playing – playing with that we're all doing that together and it's so it's basically a group conversation now that you're a part of I mean hopefully you're not heckling too much and like you know but (laughs) you're still the energy that the audience gives is part of that conversation so yeah that's what I hope how does it feel from behind a keyboard what do you hope um I suppose just that people enjoy it that there's something there um that they're going to really dig whether it's a groove or um you know a beautiful melody or um a particularly hot solo or something but just that they're going to feel that it was worth coming out they came they went away with with something that meant something to them yeah nice yeah you want to take people on a ride let's get back on the ride let's get everybody up here the way you wear your hat, yeah. the way you sip your, your tea, tea. Way you sip your tea. The memory of all that, of all that. No, no, they, they can't, can't take that, that away from me. The way your smile just beams, the way you sing off key, off key. the way you haunt my dreams. No, no. Take that away. They can't take that away. No, they can't take that away from me. If you have enjoyed this episode, please listen to other episodes on your favorite podcasting platform or via the Music Tasmania website, musictasmania.org. Till next time, keep listening and loving Tazzy music.